0: So there were four women who were devoting their lives to the church, and they were becoming nuns. And this was the momentous day, the special occasion, where they had the head nun who was marrying off these women to God. So it was a marriage of sorts. Right before the ceremony begins, you have two Hasidic gentlemen in full garb, Kapata, Strymel, Pais, they walk in and sit down, front row, center. Everyone's looking at them, not quite sure what to make out of this. So the head nun turns to them and says, can I help you? So one of the chasidish fellows stands up and says, no, no, it's fine, we're from the groom's side. Many jokes we have In Jewish culture, humor has always been a part of our life, it's kept us sane, it gives us perspective, it makes us laugh. Humor is also the great equalizer. I've had so many conversations where it starts off where there's somewhat of a distance or it could be awkward or strained, but if you're able to make a joke, you're able to just add in some humor, say something that's a little bit funny. It just, it puts us on the same playing field. Humor is the great equalizer. I'd like to explore this evening the role of humor in our avodas Hashem. When is it encouraged? When is it shunned? What is a healthy humor that could be a source of achdos, bring people together, unity? And when is it poison? When can it destroy any real growth? The springboard here is a famous question from the Parsha, that we know Korach, and there are many different chazal, many different sources that speak about what the jealousy was coming from, why did he feel entitled, why did he feel that he should have a higher position. The fact that Korach was able to get into this machlokis, to start this rebellion against the leadership of Moshe, that itself is hard to fully understand. But what's more difficult to understand is how did he convince 250 of the greatest personalities of that time to join along in this fight? These were not just random people that were looking for some outlet for their aggression. They wanted to start something. We'll get in. We want to be part of the excitement. He had gedole olam. He had the greatest people of his time join the cause how did he convince them to fight and to stand up against Moshe Rabbeinu? How did he convince these people that somehow the leadership of Moshe and Aaron was flawed, they were doing certain things on their own, and it's time to have a whole upheaval and start anew? What was his winning argument? So we have a couple of different Midrashic sources that share with us somewhat of a surprising conversation. One famous source, Medush Rabbah, the Korach jumps up And uh, he says to Moshe Tell me Moshe you have a talus here If the whole talus of made from techeilis It's all blue Do you still have to have techeilis in the strings? And Moshe said back Yeah The mitzvah is to have strings of techeilis With the white strings As Karach says That's crazy you're telling me that if the whole talis doesn't have any techelis in it, then just a few strings of blue, that's enough to potter it? That's enough to work? But yet if the entire beged, the entire garment is made from tacheles, that's not good enough? Another question. You have a whole room that's filled with svarim. There are books everywhere. Sifrei Torah. Does the door need a mezuzah? Moshe said back, yeah. The mitzvah is to have a mezuzah on the doorpost. You hear that, guys? That's crazy. The whole room is filled with books, and still, you have to have a mezuzah. Minchas Rabbah ends off by saying, "Amr lo devarim elu lo lehen." It must be because what you're saying doesn't make sense. It must be that you were not instructed by Hashem, umilibcha ata bodon, and you're making this up by yourself. We have another Midrashic source in the Yalkut Shmoni, trying also to explain the, the winning argument of Korach. It says, Seleim Kolakal, he gathered people together. And he began saying words of mockery. He was making fun of Moshe. He says, I'll tell you a story. It sounds like a politician. Almana Achas hayasa there is a widow living in my neighborhood, and she's here in the crowd tonight. Georgia, please stand up. te'inaros and she had two little girls who were orphans. And all they had was one field, they didn't have any money, they were hungry. So this widow goes out to plow her field, and there comes Moshe, and he says, yachtav, I'm sorry. You can't plow together with an ox and a donkey. That's Osir. She comes to put the seeds into the soil. Moshe's there again and he says, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't mix the Zeroyim together. You can't have the Isra of Kalayim. You can't mix the different types of seeds. So every step of the way, explains Korach, Moshe's there always stopping her. She's just trying to make a living, just trying to put some bread on the table for her family eventually she says I can't take it anymore and she has a couple of animals She wants to shech the animals and use them for meat and as soon as she does so Moshe is there again and he says you know part of those animals have to go to the Levim and the kohanim. give me my portion and she says I can't take this so Moshe grabs the meat that belongs to him and he walks away. And she was left there by herself crying with her two orphan daughters. This is your leader? This is the person you're following? Clearly he doesn't represent Hashem. So these are two very strange Midrashic accounts. Of the, the arguments or the type of discussion that Korach had Trying to convince people to follow him in his rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu How did it work though? If you put yourself in the shoes of anyone standing there at the time These things sound somewhat silly You're, you're telling me I'm trying to believe that Moshe a bad guy Because he's telling the lady, you can't plow with your ox and your donkey together. There are many restrictions the Torah gives us, and there are many ways (coughs) of getting food in abundance without breaking Torah. Is is Moshe really cruel and and not looking out for the widow and the orphans? Come on, just think about it a little bit. If he's convincing G'dol Olam, he's convincing the greatest minds of his time, what was it in these arguments that did the trick? That's the question I'd like to explore, and I think by doing so, we'll learn more about the uh, the discussion of schok of laughter and joking around within Torah hashkafa. The Gemara and Shabbos tells us that sheein Lomi lomitoch that the shechina can never reside when someone is depressed, velomitoch atzlus or when someone's lethargic, velomitoch and not when you're joking around and being silly. Nor can the shrina be there when there's lightheadedness. Or when you're schmoozing, or when you're talking about things that are meaningless. The only time the Divine Presence can really reside within us and uplift us is when there's Simcha Shel Mitzvah. The joy we have through the mitzvahs. But if it's chok, if you're laughing around, it's khalas rosh, Hashem is not there. <coughs> the Gemar and Bracho says, based on this similar idea, that when you stand in tefillah, when you're davening, Ein om lis palo, I cannot stand when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm feeling lethargic. That would take away every opportunity for davening for many of us. Not when I'm joking around, not when I'm lightheaded, not when I'm schmoozing, Again, tefillah must be mitoch simcha shel mitzvah. So laughter and joking around has no place in any setting when we're trying to bring Hashem into our world. However, as we explore further, we do find that schok, which is translated as laughter, to joke, to jest, to be jovial, it sounds like it's not Osr altogether. It sounds like it's not off-limits. The same Gemara tells us, Osr lo'odem piv schokpiv olam hazeh. It is prohibited to have your mouth filled with laughter in this world. That's something that saved the times of Mashiach. But you can't have your mouth filled with laughter now. The Ritva, one of the great commentators in the Gemara, he explains it's not because laughing like that would be somehow an insult or a, um, ignoring the, the availus, the mourning we have, that we don't have the base amygdash." That's not why. Rather, says the Ritva, when we laugh to such an extent where we lose ourselves in the joy, then there's a concern of Yisgaber Yitzro Olov Mi Telchaschok when we're fooling around like this, then the Yetzirah is able to climb in and get the best of me. And I lose my decision-making abilities. And I might do things, I might say things that are inappropriate. But yet you could say from the Gemara that the only problem here and now is don't fill your mouth with joy. There's a certain level of schok that's inappropriate before the times of Mashiach we have more control over our Yetzirah. But the mashmos, the indication here is that if it's not filled with joy, so that could be a good thing, or that could be allowed. The famous Mishnah in Perkyovos tells us, S'chok v'kalis rosh margilin l'erva, That laughter and lightheadedness that leads to erva, relationships that are off limits. The basic idea behind this Mishnah is that when we don't have boundaries, we don't have gedorim, and there's a little bit of, of a friendship, and that could develop, and then things are said, and as long as you keep on breaking those boundaries, schok v'kalis rosh can take you to a place that you would have never imagined. Explains the Teferis Yisrael in his commentary. He says, if you look at the wording of the Mishnah, it's very powerful. The Mishnah says overindulgence in laughter and lightheadedness that leads one to immorality. But it doesn't say the opposite. It doesn't say that atzvus Koved rosh, that being kind of down and melancholy, and koved rosh and being very intense are a siyag lifne erva. Meaning theoretically the Mishnah could have said the opposite. Don't tell me that laughter and lightheadedness leads to immorality. Tell me the life I should leave is atzvus and kovod harosh. I should be somewhat down, never too happy, and very intense. And that will keep me protected from immorality. Why didn't the Mishnah say that? Says the Tzferis Yisrael very simply. Because we don't want to be atzvus. And even COVID Rosh is not something that we strive for. Being down, being depressed, that's, that's a midah we try to avoid. How about covid Rosh? How about intensity? covid Rosh says that the Pharisees Israel, rak bishast fila yofa Only when you're davening is it good to be intense. But generally, right? the, the ideal state of the human being... Is that we should be besimcha? Doesn't mean I always have to have a smile on my face, but to be content, to be satisfied, to feel a sense of tranquility, to be besimcha and kalos haguf, which literally means the lightness of the body. In modern terminology, that means you're chilled out. That's the ideal, to be besimcha ubekalos haguf. Being overly intense in other areas of life besides tefillah is a dangerous thing for your health and it does not help you in a Avodos Hashem. It only hurts you. So that's what the Mishnah said. Just don't confuse simcha with schok. Be happy, be content, try to be engaged in life, but don't allow that to bring you to a place where you're joking around too much. And don't confuse kalus ha where I'm relaxed in a healthy way, and I am chilled out. Don't confuse that with kalos harosh, with lightheadedness, that I'm not thinking straight, I'm not being responsible, I'm not watching what comes out of my mouth. So what we see from this mission in Per-Kiobos, again, that too much schok and kalos rosh, too much joking around, can lead us in very negative directions. But the goal is not to be depressed, and the goal is not to be overly intense. Simcha v'kalis haguf. <clears throat> now not only is schok potentially permissible, but it's actually an obligation. Where do we find the obligation to laugh, to, to joke around a little bit, to have a good one-liner? Where is there an obligation for schok? So later on in the Mishten Perkiovos, in the sixth parak. We have the famous Mishnah going through the 48 ways of how to acquire Torah. The Mishnah says you have to cut down, you have to minimize your business, don't spend too much time with that. Don't spend too much time with worldly affairs. Minimize your indulgence in the physical world. Not so much sleep. Not so much schmoozing. And just a little bit of schok, a little bit of joking around. Now there are two ways to understand this Mishnah. What does it mean, miyut schok? Does it mean, just be careful, don't joke around too much, if at all, because it's very bad for you. Miyut schok, minimize the laughter. Or does it mean, more like your your mother would tell you, listen honey, I'm so glad that you're staging and doing well, but remember it's always healthy to have a miyut schok. a little bit of schok is a good thing, honey what does the Mishnah mean? is it your, your Torah coach talking to you? minimize the sleep, minimize the joking around, stop schmoozing, let's go or is it your mother talking to you? miyut schok, you have to have a little, little something in life, you gotta have fun what does the Mishnah mean? so says the Midrash Shmuel He writes, the Mishnah is not the coach, but rather the Mishnah is your mother. That a little bit of joking around is necessary. It's not just a nice thing to have. It's one of the 48 ways to be kona, to really acquire Torah knowledge, is to be able to fool around a little bit. He says, too much Schok v'kalis rosh, then the Mishnah told us back in the previous one we quoted, that brings you to erva, that brings you to immorality. But a little bit is not only okay, it's encouraged and it's necessary for real growth in Torah. There's an amazing story I once saw. The Chazanish, whenever one of you picture the Chazanish, you, you have this image in your head, of someone who was very, very serious and very intense, and he was. However, there was a tekufa, there was a period in his life where he was learning with a, a much younger Kharusa, the chazanish is probably around 60, his Kharusa was 40-something, and they would learn straight for hours and hours a day, and they were working on this one topic, and it was excruciating, it was so difficult trying to break through and understand really what the Gemara is saying, what the Rashba is saying, what's the debate. After days of non-stop learning, they finally had a breakthrough, and uh, they, they got shot, they understood what was going on, and Chazanish turns to his Chavrusa and says, you know what, let's take a little bit of a break. We worked so hard, let's go outside. And they went to the lake. There was a lake there, fresh water It was a hot day, it was very refreshing So they're relaxing together in the water After a hard day of sweating in the Amelis HaTorah And the younger Chavrusa Feels water being splashed onto his face And not knowing what to say or do He turns around and he sees the Chazanish is splashing him <laughs> right? So what do you do when the Chazanish You're not going to splash back <laughs> That's one thing you don't do to the Chazanish but he asked the question, Rabbi, what are you doing? And the Chazanish said back in Yiddish, and I'm not going to say it in Yiddish because I don't know Yiddish, but the Chazanish said, if you can't be a little silly, you can't say a good sorrow. Which means, if you can't let yourself go a little bit, then you're really limiting your creativity. You can't think with the same clarity if you're always like this, confined and, and, and constricted. You have to be able to open up a little bit that's what the Mishnah means. Mi You need a little laughter in life, not just because it feels good, not just because it could make other people feel good, but even for our Torah knowledge, it helps. It's needed. We know the Gemara and Shabbos tells us that Rabbi would always open up with a joke before teaching his Talmidim. He came into Shir one day and uh, he told them that there was this old fellow who went to the back of the church and he started putting on tefillin, clearly a Jewish guy. And, and people saw this, didn't want to say anything, it was very awkward. So eventually the, uh, the priest, he, he just wanted to allude to it, so he said, you know, this is a, a private place, private property, anyone who's not officially part of the congregation, please, please leave. And somehow the Jewish guy wasn't getting the hint. And he kept davening there, filling on, little sitter in hand, back and forth, not really paying attention to everything else going on around him. So again, a few minutes later, the priest gets up and says, "Um, anyone who doesn't come every Sunday, this is really for regulars, you have to be consistent, everyone who's not always here on Sundays, please leave. And again, the guy wasn't paying attention, doing his own thing. So eventually the priest felt that he had to make it clear This is really strange and inappropriate for the whole congregation And he gets up and says Anyone who is Jewish, please leave the building now the Jewish guy closes the sitter, takes off his tefillin Walks up to the front of the church Grabs the statue of Yoshkin and says Come on, Bubala, they don't want us here <laughs> That was a joke said by Rabbah 1800 years ago but that's how we started off Shear, the famous Gemarantinus, Rebbe Roka Achazah, that he would go to the shuk in Lefet, and often he would see Eliyahu Hanavi. Now, what was the point of Eliyahu Hanavi coming to Rebbe Roka and the shuk? It's a strange place to meet Eliyahu. So I, I, I can't say for sure, I think the answer might be, if you've ever tried picking out a good melon, it's very difficult to do. And everyone has their own way, their own strategy. You shake it, you hold it up to the light, you do this, you know. Everyone has their own mahalach. So maybe Eliyahu was there to help him pick out his fruit. Could be. Probably not. But Rabbi Baruch would always say Eliyahu in the shuk. And the question, the famous question that Rebbe Baruch asked Eliyahu was, Who here, out of all these hundreds of people who are so busy and buying and selling and making a a fuss, who here will deserve the world to come? As says, that he pointed to two brothers. Rebbe was curious, what did these two people do? He goes up to them, What do you guys do? We're jesters, we're, we're clowns. We do backflips. We make poodles out of balloons. On the Madchina natsive, we make people who are feeling down. We try to bring them up. These are the people. Out of all the hundreds of people in the shuk of Leffit, these are the ones. Says Eliyohu, they will be bnei olam haba. Now Rashi explains, what does it mean b'dochiyanan, that we're, we're clowns? Rashi says four words, Adam," that they were happy, they were joyful, and they made other people happy as well. Now, it's, it's always bothered me, and I've, I've spoken about this before. Why does Rashi have to say that they were happy? That, that's besides the point. Their job is, we go around making people happy. That's what we do. And that's why we're so great. I think Rashi's explaining the way people are made happy is that when I'm happy, it's contagious. So it was based on their personalities. Of course they were trying to share that joy with others, but it was coming from a deep-rooted source of, of contentment and simcha they had themselves. That gave them the ability to make other people happy. So schok, laughter, joking around, making fun of stuff. Making fun of stuff is a little bit tricky, but we'll call it laughter and joking around. That seems to be a problem if it's an excess. However, if it's done right, it could be a, a, a helpful thing, and it's actually a necessary thing for our growth in Torah. How does that work exactly? What's the Havana? What's the, the understanding behind this? So there's a piece in the Masilat Yasharim where he speaks about joking around. And he says that if a person has a habit, they're almost addicted to, to being that guy, to always joking around, it's as if they're drowning in the sea, where it becomes almost impossible to pull themselves out of that mindset. Kihaschoku mahabed eshalev adam. It loses. It makes me lose my heart, that I can't think clearly. And it gives two analogies. It makes me either like a shikur, like one who's drunk, or like a shota, like one who's deranged. And the the commentators explain these are two levels of how deeply immersed I am in this lifestyle of always making jokes. The shikar is, right now, I'm not seeing things straight. I'm not able to think responsibly, but I'll sober up. So if we're overindulging once in a while with making jokes, but at least we also have those moments where I'm sober. But we could be so into this way of life and always looking for the the one-liner and never really paying attention to the realities of life, we become a shota, not just a shikr, but we become like a deranged person where we're always seeing things through a warped lens. We're never really seeing things or people for what they are. These are the dangers of too much schok v'kalis rosh. And then he says that schok v'kalis rosh lead one, ma'at, ma'at, slowly but surely, down a path to the point where all of the yira, all of the natural fear and all of the spiritual fear that I should have for doing something wrong slowly dissipates and now I don't have the same gedarim, I don't have those same boundaries and without boundaries I will do and say anything. He says, the danger of schok v'kalis rosh is that... It opens me up. It takes away the feeling of constraint. I think within that one line we understand why it's so incredibly dangerous, but also why it's so necessary if it's done right. It's so dangerous because once you get, you get rid of all the things holding you in check, that's, that's terrible. However, because we know that the ideal is not covid Roche. We're not supposed to be overly intense. We need the ability to relax and take a big deep breath. The proper measure of schok, bamiyut schok, is letting go a little bit. Letting go a little bit is helpful and necessary. Okay. However, we come to really a second category of joking around. And this is what's often called the leitzonos. Leitzonos is translated as mockery, Cynicism, sarcasm. Regarding leitzonus, the Gemara Megillah tells us, All forms of leitzonus, when we're making fun of something, when we're being sarcastic, when we're being cynical, any form of leitzonus is osir, is off-limits, Except for making fun of a Zarah, for putting down idolatry. And Rav Huttner writes, it's not limited, the exception is not limited to idolatry. But anything that's clearly evil, that's the one time you're allowed to make fun of something and really put it down and degrade it. But otherwise, Leitzonus is also across the board. So what's, what's categorically different about Leitzonus? where pretty much it's always off-limits in contrast to schok, where it depends. A little bit is good, too much is bad. What is leitzonus? So again, the Ramchal tells us in Besilat Shisharim that Sunus is like a shield with oil. We mentioned this when we are doing Shmuel base that in the olden days, the warriors went into battle with a shield, oftentimes made of leather, and the shield was anointed with oil, and that way spears or arrows would come and they would just slide right off. They wouldn't penetrate. A person who has the Mida of Leitzanus is living with that, that shield with oil where nothing motivational, nothing inspirational, nothing that could be potentially life-changing is going to penetrate. Everything slides right off. <laughs> With just a little bit of late leitzonus, I can knock away so much that could have been so inspiring. A little late leitzonus could totally make it worthless. I remember I was sitting in a high school setting. And there was someone who was giving a, a very, you know, fire and brimstone, but it was eloquent, it was uplifting. I was super impressed. Giving a whole schmooze to these high school kids. 30, 40 minutes, it was going for a while, but they were pretty much into it, and you could see they were absorbing it, they were taking in the information. At one point, though, towards the end of the speech, the speaker is talking about their achrayas, their obligation, and you could tell he was trying to think of a couple different words, you know, synonyms for achrayas. So he said that your obligation as, as Bahrim as young men, Your duty... And he went on to say something... That was the wrong word. There was one kid sitting in the back, started to smirk, based on that word choice. Starts to chuckle a little bit, then his buddy starts chuckling, and before you know it, the whole room is going like this. (laughs) One little leitzonus, one guy that happened to just think of the silliest thing in the back of the room, That destroyed it for the entire crowd. That whole speech is now down the drain because he said that word. That's Leitzanus. The way that Rav Hudner explains Leitzanus is making fun of anything in life that should be taken seriously. If a person lives with this mindset, and this becomes a a part of the conversation, says of Aaron hatorah." that blinds you to the light of Torah. You're always looking for the negative. You're always being mavatil and putting down people. You're always finding the agenda and the motivation behind what they're doing, and nothing's sincere, nothing's real. It blinds you to seeing the light and the beauty of Torah. The Svas Amis writes, that was the ability of Korach. Right? All these arguments about making fun of the mitzvos and how Moshe is somehow being a bad guy for, for you know, telling you you have to do the harisha like this. and It wasn't what he said. It was how he said it. He was saying it in a condescending way. He was being cynical. He was being sarcastic. He was putting Moshe down. He was making fun of the mitzvos. That had the ability to even influence great minds and great people because the way it was being said. I remember a couple of times in yeshiva when I was sitting in a gemarashir and there was a lively back and forth and someone would say, it was, it was some level of chutzpah, but you would have a young man get up and say, "Rebbe, are you telling me that just because you're not mechavein for it, therefore you're putter. And sometimes the response of the Rebbe was, that's exactly what I'm saying, just not in that tone. If you think about it, I think it makes a lot of sense. But everyone else in that room, as soon as they heard that guy say it like that, hey, that's, how could you be saying that? That sounds silly. That's, that, 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 that's illogical. It only sounds illogical because the tone in which it was said. That was the influence of Korach, and that says the Svas Amis. Bechol Dor door, this was not limited to over 3,000 years ago. In every generation we have people who mock and make fun of and are cynical and are sarcastic and bring down Gedolet Torah, speak negatively about the greats, in every generation. The Internet is now really a new, a new level of leitzanus. We could say anything about anybody. It could be Rishmul Kamenetsky, it could be Rukhaim Kaniyevsky, it could be anyone, the greatest minds of our times, but now we have blogs, or now we even have websites where you can post your comments, and we just have free reign to bring down all Gedol Yisrael, just like that. Because something that someone said that they said doesn't sound right to me, so now, eh, let me write a whole paragraph about how terrible they are. This machla, this plug of leitzonus, is in every generation. That was the influence of Korach. So what makes a, a joke kosher, and what makes a joke treif? We always have to ask ourselves, is the joke considered schok? little laughter, fooling around, a cute thing to say. Or is the joke leitzonus? Leitzonus is making fun of something that should be taken seriously. So for example, any racial joke, any joke that puts down any population, is that schok or is that leitzonus? That's leitzonus. (laughs) You're putting down people? (laughs) The Mishnah says you can't put down people. Any joke that's putting down a human being is a form of leitzanas. I I, I was in the base medrash and the, the guys were asking about different halachas of lashon and hara, and there was one question about even though it's not nice to say about this particular place, this particular institution, but maybe it's the mitzvah to talk about it, you know, to teach other people how off they are. And sometimes there's a logic like that. People have to know that this approach is not the true Torah approach. However, I told them, I said, that might be correct, and that might be a valid heter, a valid leniency to speak negatively about something, to teach people what not to do. But you have to ask yourselves, if this is the majority of what we're speaking about, If we find that our conversation is often putting people or places down, then even if it's technically permissible, you will not become great people. Cynical people do not become great people. The people who have changed their lives, the people who have changed the world, the people who have accomplished things that we would never have dreamed of, it's because they did dream of it, and their response wasn't, that's never going to happen. You can't do that. We can't get enough money for something like that. We can't get enough interest in this kind of program. Cynicism doesn't build the future. The way Derv writes it, he says that cynicism is atmis kafishu benefish bisharsha. What is the root of leitzanus of being cynical? In Pirza Binyan you're looking for that small crack in any structure that's viewed as significant or important. I'm looking for that small hole, Al with the intention of knocking down the entire structure of what's considered khashiv, of what's considered important. That's what Leit Sunnis is. I'm looking to put people down, I'm looking to put institutions down, I'm looking to put down any possible thing I can. Now why do we do that? Why was Leit Sunnis so influential with Korach and his followers? And why is Leit Sunnis so big nowadays? Why is it that we want to read about these things? We want to hear about these things. Why is being cynical considered cool? In our society. That's usually how we view the people who are more believing in others, who have faith in themselves, who have faith in the system. They're naive. They don't really get it. The cool people are the ones who are sarcastic and putting other things and other people down. Why is that the case? So I, I believe that the reason we're cynical is to protect us from fear. We're afraid that if I listen too much to this idea, or I embrace this philosophy too much, I might be bought into it. I don't want to have to be bought into anything. Therefore, we make fun of as much as we possibly can, so I can stay my own person. And in a society where freedom reigns, Baruch Hashem, we live in America, We live in a time and place where we do have freedom. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech. We can express ourselves. It's in a society where there's freedom, where we have more cynicism. Because we're allowed to talk against anybody and anything. And we could put down the president. And we do it all the time. And nowadays he puts down everyone also. It's all, just say whatever you want. That's the culture because we can And I don't want to have to be meshu, but I don't want to have to be surrendering to your ideas. So being a cynic is very convenient. It protects me from being influenced by anybody else. It could cause me to be influenced by the cynicism, but it could also protect me from being moved by what you're saying. Avraham Avinu, when he started preaching, when he started teaching the world about Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, So the Medvesh Rabbah tells us that people of his time would make fun of him and they called him a mule. You're not going to even have a child. You're here preaching all these crazy things. One God, ethics, morality. What a lunatic. Why did they make fun of him? Why were they so sarcastic? Why were they so degrading? Because they were afraid of what he was saying. Whenever something smacks of the truth... Our natural response is, put up the wall. What is that wall? Just make fun of it. And therefore, I don't have to listen. Now, there is a difference between healthy skepticism and unhealthy sarcasm. It's good to be a skeptic. Don't be naive. Don't be gullible. Don't believe it just because it was said. Think about it. Work on it. But skepticism is great. Sarcasm and cynicism... Cynicism destroys everything that's of everything that's worthy. The cost of cynicism is that it blocks change, it burns bridges, it builds walls around us, and it stunts growth. That's why often I talk about it in the community if we want to keep on creating a culture of growth, we have to do as much as we possibly can to avoid negativity. Now, we have to think and feel whatever we want and we have to be able to express that. Come, that something's wrong, something seems strange, something's off, I have a complaint, express it. But do it in a way that will be productive, that will, will find a solution. Just hacking about something or sharing with five or six other people the terrible thing that that person did, besides the Isr of Lush and hara, we're spreading negativity, we're spreading cynicism, and that's poison for any culture of real growth. That's poison. Greatness is only born from being vulnerable. Greatness only comes from dreaming, dreaming big, believing in ourselves, believing in others. To change the world in any way, to elevate ourselves in every way, we can't be a cynic. Schok is a good thing in measure, we can't go overboard in that either but we have to try to get rid of cynicism, transcend negativity and embrace each other. Don't always be thinking, what's his real motivation? Maybe he also has that motivation, but there's so many other things at play. We can't discount people, we can't discount things. That was the poison of Korach. We learned from this week's Parsha. Schok, laughter, joking around, that's part of our culture, that's part of our lifeblood. Sarcasm, cynicism, Degrading others, that's something that's treif, not kosher. Have a wonderful Shabbos.